Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Trans Issues and Kink episode. Our guest today is also in the Pacific Northwest. Can I say that? Yes, you can. How private are you? Uh, not that private, honestly. Okay. I, I put maybe too much information online. <laughs> we'll get into that in the episode. So <laughs> welcome to Cosima B. Concordia, also known as Cozy. Uh, I know her as Bimbo Theory on Instagram, and I'll have to find you on Twitter. And folks will be interested to support more of your work and get access to exclusive writing on your patreon.com forward slash Bimbo Theory. You were recommended to me by a friend who I've known for about five years. She is a trans woman. Uh, I believe she's a little kinky woman. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, you got to follow her writings on Instagram. She breaks down some really nuanced shit. And also she gets shit on for it. And I was like, oh, I want to go there. So uh, folks can look you up. Welcome, Cozy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So how long have you been writing and publishing? Because I am new to you as like a creator. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I've been writing basically as long as I can remember. It's, um, I think I was always kind of a, a very like in my head rambling story teller type child and um, mm. very disassociated. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it's, I think it's probably a pretty common thing for a lot of trans people to be, um, uh, very more into, um, creative pursuits, especially sort of, uh, their own sort of worlds, ways to, um, find escapism on some level or another. Hmm. And, and so, yeah. um, and so, yeah, it's just always been something that has, has been really important to me, um. I got a philosophy degree in college, which I think uh, was a good way of, um, you know, learning how to think mm. conceptually a little bit better. And uh, and then I've been writing queer horror short stories and um, reading just a lot of queer theory and uh, history for the past mm -hmm. several years. And um mostly self-publishing through Patreon and just my social media. Um, hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So you've been making all kinds of things. Um, you said something about, so I, I totally relate to being an in my head disassociated kid. Um, I know you talk about neurodiversity a little. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then you said something about like, if there's something to trans and like creativity and I think about like sci-fi and how I'm learning a lot of sci-fi shows and like space shows have a lot of like queer undercurrents or themes. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that something you can ever speak to? Yeah. Do you ever talk about that stuff? Cause I just learned about that as a thing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do think that there, um, there have been a lot of uh, transgressive elements within sci-fi and fantasy. And I think that those were definitely the genres that I felt, um, most at home in when I was, um, younger. Uh, now I think that the, the place that the fiction area that I, um, I enjoy the most, I think is horror, um, because I, I really enjoy the transgressive elements. And I think that you can, um, push 
barriers in ways that you can't necessarily in mm-hmm. lots of other genres um, within fiction. And that relates to kink too, like pushing boundaries and seeing what's possible, I think. So, um, and somebody asked me, how do I know if I'm kinky? So what do you define as kinky? So I think kink is 100% always contextual and um, in relation in relation to time and space. So, you know, at still in lots of parts of the world and lots of people in the U.S. still um, think that a man kissing another man is kinky intrinsically and the idea that it is transgressive, it is taboo, mm. you're doing something that is um, that is pushing the boundaries of what is societally acceptable or normal. And so... It um, seems like a really so hetero way to think. Things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a very hetero way to think. But 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 then but if we that's I guess the thing is that when we talk about things like, oh, no kink at pride mm-hmm. or these ideas, like that is always something that can come back to bite you no matter who you are. Um, if you're any type of queer or any type of trans, because the reality is is that all of us are in some way um transgressive in a way that is wrong and bad and taboo. Mm-hmm. To somebody and um hmm. what I'm thinking of to kind of tie off this thought is that I talked to a, a clinical psychologist who specializes in uh, what is considered sexual sexually compulsive behavior or deviance um, and he said mm-hmm. if you tell people that they have to in order to be normal be things like hetero you know or into like very vanilla specific acts so many of us are going to deviate from that. So you have a lot of people that are being pathologized or think that there's something wrong with them, but really just a lot of us have our own special kinks and a lot of them won't fall into the box. So I think what you're saying is at kink, when they say no kink at pride, it's like, well, what does that mean? What's kinky to you and what's okay for some people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and also I think in that we can, we can look at certain things like, you know, is spanking like kinky anymore? It you know it's hard to tell. It's been so normalized within mainstream media, and and also mm-hmm. if we look at um, you know if we look at like a straight relationship with like a man in like a dominant position and a woman in a submissive position, and they're like cishet, um, mm-hmm. like that can totally be what they're into, and that can be great as long as everyone's happy with it. But is it kinky if it's... Is it kinky uh, in a yeah. paternalistic society? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I think that that's very up for debate. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you'll push on people for sure who are like, well, you can't tell me what I am and how I identify. And that's why I think you say that all of it is contextual. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Right. So like if it is normal, let's just say in one society to like missionaries considered very normal sex to have mm-hmm. to a point where I think that some people who want to like prove their kinkiness are like, oh, I don't do stuff like that. And it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with anything we do, mm-hmm. but it's when we've created rules for how people engage is it will always alienate somebody. Um, but those things differ on where you are and when you, where you live, when you're alive. Uh, So you discussed, yeah, you discuss a lot of broad topics. Um, Let's see. I found the pegging argument to be quite compelling. You talk about neurodiversity, kink, trans stuff. We'll talk about pegging later. What else do you write about? Yeah. um, 
Well, so on the on the neurodiversity thing, I um, mm-hmm. just during the pandemic, um, as with I think a lot of people, I I was able to be diagnosed with um, ADHD and sluggish cognitive tempo, which is a uh, um, kind of co-occurring syndrome next to ADHD, and that was very explanatory for um, how my brain works. Basically, I. Uh, my problem solving is kind of normal and my conceptual thinking and word processing is very high, but then my cognitive processing is, is very, very low, like second percentile. And, Interesting. um, yeah, so, so I, I wrote a piece called my official bimbo diagnosis, you know, kind of playing <laughs> with that. Um, cause it's, it's, it's really fundamentally opposed, um, Lots of lots of types of neurodiversity are really opposed to how we fundamentally think about brains and, and how thinking works. And so mm-hmm. um, and so for me, like being told uh, to look at something, sometimes it will take me like a good 30 seconds to like react um, to really. Yeah. Just, just like, oh, look over okay. there. And sometimes I'll just like look. It'll take me like a good 10 seconds or something. And, okay, um, or it will take I, I was wondering what this looks like in practice. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Or or like to find something on like um at the grocery store, you know, to like take in the things on the shelves and then find the, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Um Do you use a lot of lists? Do you make a lot of lists? I do make a lot of yourself? I do make a lot of lists. Yeah. Me too. It helps. Do you find it helpful? I do find it helpful. Well, in- what about timers? You lose a lot, use a lot of timers. You use a lot of timers as well. Yeah, it's super <laughs> helpful. Yeah. yeah, I relate to a lot of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I got screened over the pandemic as uh, autistic and ADHD and um, complex PTSD, probably an attachment disorder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, sure. cool. It all makes sense. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, you said on the ni- neurodiversity. So what was that called? I heard ADHD and then. And sluggish cognitive tempo. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that that was also very explanatory for, for maybe some of the reasons, um, that I'm a submissive and, and why mm. that was maybe a coping mechanism in my life in some ways, because I, mm. I had a lot of executive, um, dysfunction. And so being in situations where I didn't have to, be the voice in my head to um, decide the things, to do the things. They were just things I had to do. Um, I was able to like do mm. much more, um, mm. and by having With really set. strict schedules and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So so like by strict schedules, do you mean like a not a twenty four seven? Would you be interested in a twenty four seven job sub relationship? Yeah. Or do you do like part time? Well, so. Uh, so with my live-in partner, um, who I've been with for over 10 years now, uh, we're, um, we definitely do have a dynamic that is always um, present on some level, um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, uh, but two degrees. And so, and so it's like on, on my day-to-day life, I definitely do have, um, have rules around what I'm allowed to do and not do. Uh, mm-hmm. So it is 27 in that sense, but not like high protocol or whatever. <laughs> okay. Okay. And that feels comfortable and very workable for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, and this is a great, thank you for giving example to how someone could see in practice, like why that would be 
optimal for some folks like you, mm -hmm. where you're like, it is helpful for me to have specific direction, guidance. Um, I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's, you know, very good at organizational stuff and so is able to help me with, uh, with some things I'm very bad at, like, um, you know, form filling in and stuff like that. But then Ooh. I do the vast majority of like the chores and, you know, just basic, mm -hmm. um, basic things like that. So it's, it's a, this is so fun. This is very, very bimbo theory indeed. Yeah. It's like woman's role shit, but it feels good and it works for you. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> in the context of the larger society, it totally makes sense. This is how you've made some of the things about you. Like this is how you've learned yourself and figured out what works for you. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh gosh. So I sourced questions from my audience and I have a very, very smart audience. Um, but I did get this question that frustrated me, but then I have to remember that if people don't have information, they just don't know it. So this is why we ask the questions that seem obvious to some of us. Someone asked me, um, is it true that a majority of trans people change their mind and eventually quote, switch back to their previous gender? So I guess, <laughs> I, I guess this, this question seems like it's trying to get um, at the idea of detransitioning, which um, is something that is often taken by anti-trans movements and kind of morphed into this moral panic. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the first thing to notice is that the majority of people who detransition, lots of them often still consider themselves trans. The vast majority of people who detransition, de they do so because of transphobia and hmm. because it's very difficult to be trans in the world. Um, not because they don't consider themselves trans. And so lots of times they're still in queer, com queer community. Um, and, and also that transition is not a linear process that, you know, sometimes people have a, um, what, what could be considered a quote unquote binary transition, but then maybe they, you know, end up being more non-binary or, you know, they're, mm -hmm. There's sometimes cis lesbians that, you know, take testosterone, you know, and that makes mm -hmm. them feel um, more embodied, more even, butch, though still, or... yeah, even though they're still women. Yeah. So, so it's, there's no, um, there's no one size fits all um, answer to that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think often like there's these individual examples of, people who the media grabs onto and um and they become kind of like flag um to like tokenized spokespeople yeah like yeah for, for like for like how the trans movement is evil but really the, the reality right. is the vast majority of people who transition are completely happy and you know it mm -hmm. having bodily agency is really important anyway and we should be able to do what we want with our bodies and so mm -hmm. that's why informed consent is a really important model mm -hmm. i've seen this play out um in some personal relationships um i have a friend i want him to come back uh i want him to come on this show he had talked about trans issues in my previous podcast and he said that he had felt a pressure from society to conform to be incredibly mask presenting mm -hmm. um and when he's like, you know, maybe I do like he's a jewelry maker and an artist. He's like, if I want to wear earrings, it doesn't mean I want to be misgendered as she. Mm -hmm. It's like I want to look like a fine ass 
trans mass bitch. <laughs> yeah. So identity is very fluid. And I think you've said something before um, about like an expectation to fully transition is still based on a very binary way of thinking. Absolutely. And yeah, in that there, there is no, um, the, the types of things that any individual person may do to transition, that doesn't necessarily mean they have one gender identity over another. Like, um, you know, there may be someone who has what would be considered a quote unquote, very binary, um, like trans woman, but maybe they identify mm-hmm. as non-binary, but they, you know, get mm-hmm. bottom surgery and everything else. And then there's, it, it just, it doesn't really, those things just don't match up identity and, um, and how people present themselves or even their hormones. It's just, that's just mm-hmm. not how it works. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about people asking, like, what are your pronouns? Uh, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's a nice, I think it's a nice thing to have normalized, um, in lots of areas of society. I think it's, I think it's not good when cis people ask it only because they know a trans person is in the room. And when they only ask the trans person, I think. And I also. Have you experienced this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. okay and, well, and I mean, I don't experience yeah. it very often anymore because I like mostly around strangers, I I pass. Mm. And so it's not like a thing that um, mm. I deal with a lot. But yeah, uh, but yeah it's just a... Um, it's another- well, you just informed a bunch of listeners that will never do that now. Yeah. Or try to do it less. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you... Uh, yeah, it's not that it's like a bad thing to ask people's pronouns. It's just that it's often it's often a kind of performative gesture that feels um, tokenizing and kind of uh, singles mm-hmm. people out. Mm-hmm. Thank you for addressing that. Um, can we talk about this? Was such a quick blip, <laughs> but got a lot of attention. The what awards show was it? Oh, Matt. Cara <laughs> De Levine. Is she the one who wore the Peg the Patriarchy? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, best. Can we talk about peg pegging the patriarchy statements? How do you feel about this statement, Peg the Patriarchy? Yeah. And do you want to explain its origin? Because you might do a better job about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can um I can talk about that. So it, weirdly, this is kind of this um when that happened, it it blew up a thread that I had made like a few um, a few months earlier about the origin of the word pegging, which, um, was originally invented in the nineties on Dan Savage's, uh, sex column. Mm. And so he's a, he's a cis, um, gay man that works, uh, for the stranger, which is a, uh, Seattle newspaper. Seattle. And, um, and so it was originally this, the idea was um, an advice question was sent in and it was what to call um, anal sex that was a straight woman fucking a straight man in the ass 
um, with a strap on or, or a dildo in theory. Mm -hmm. And so the idea Mm -hmm. was, was kind of to decontextualize it from gayness to, to, you know, kind of protect the, um, the ego of the man in this situation. (laughs) And so, and so fundamentally, I think, I mean, I, I think the word pegging is just in the first place, very not sexy, but, um, but it was created to kind of like de-gay the whole idea of um, the whole idea of just like fucking each other in the ass, which is great and fine. And like, if, if men like to get fucked in the ass, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, that's, and they do, and we know that's not like a gay man phenomenon. No, so totally. And so then, right. and so then since then, of course, language has changed and pegging has been, um, kind of adopted to just mean any sort of anal sex that isn't with a quote unquote real penis. So, you know, like a flesh and blood penis. And I also think mm-hmm. that that has bioessentialist and transphobic connotations because like right because I could shove my giant clit into your ass and it would feel good so absolutely yeah yeah like a lot of a lot of trans masks you know like for them they're you know a strap-on will be very much their cock and like Mm -hmm. some cis lesbians it's the same way like I Mm -hmm. service tops sometimes and I would never ever use my own genitals to service top but I would use a you know, strap on. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I just think it's an unnecessary word. And then pegging the patriarchy. Um, I think a lot of people have, have said this in, in very articulate ways, but it's, it's this idea that like you can, number one, it's intrinsically playing into this idea that, uh, it's, emasculating to be fucked in the ass intrinsically or derogatory yeah. in general mm-hmm. yeah right, derogatory exactly. bad it's like defeating the patriarchy right and so that's mm-hmm. that that's just it's just homophobia it's just like straight straight old fashioned homophobia there's like mm-hmm. nothing complex mm-hmm. about that um and mm-hmm. uh yeah and it's just like and the idea that like a mutual a mutual consensual sex act is like the way that you defeat the patriarchy. Like, why are you having sex with the patriarchy? Like, <laughs> no. Uh, on old-fashioned homophobia, like that's like the really the like Greek like model of like the older men fucked the younger boys anally, and it was actually a class issue. And I was reading that it was inappropriate, like a social taboo, for older men to bottom or be receptive partners to the younger boys. Did you know this? Absolutely. Well, and and, and that's also right. how how like sex has been conceived for the majority of society. Like the identitarian idea of sexual identity as something that's innate within us, as opposed to the actions that we do, like in society, the roles that we play and the way that we have mm-hmm. sex is mm-hmm. is a very new thing. So like the idea that like I'm a straight person or I'm a gay person. And, and those, those were invented under, um, under certain historical and, um, political precedents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people like a lot of things, but definitely there's been a lot of rules over time in society about how you're supposed to function sexually, which is just really wild. So to bring it back to the patriarchy. Yeah. It's like saying, dominate the patriarchy anally which is just kind of punching down on people who are receptive anal partners yeah yeah no it's a it's a very it's a very weird 
weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah. And then uh, quickly, the there was a woman who was pro peg the patriarchy but she said that she had a different take on it do you are you familiar with that one yeah I so not. i i don't i don't remember her name um maybe can put it, it in the show notes but but she um it ended up that peg the patriarchy was a was a term that was invented by a um I found worker it. who was a woman of color or what was her name um Let's see. The queer woman of color behind Peg the Patriarchy says Kara, sorry if I don't know how to say this model's name, Day Levine, did not credit her for using the slogan in her Met Gala Gala outfit, Luna Matatas. There we go. She said her trademarked phrase was coined from combining equality and sex education. I don't know what her meaning of that is. Yeah, I, 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 read, I read her thing. And I mean, like, I... I fundamentally disagree. Like, I don't think it's empowering. I don't think that there's any way to like, to, to see that in an empowering way. But I also, but I'm also like not mad about it. I think that's totally fine if she wants to say that. If, people, if, if like queer people want to say pegging, you can say pegging. That's fine. I just, I just think it's a, it's a word that <laughs> is not great. And, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to be trying to be the word police like a lot of people accused me of like trying to cancel Dan Savage or trying to like cancel Cara Delevingne and it's like (laughs) like who do you think I am I don't have the power yeah right (laughs) as if I could come on as if I would want to but as if I could yeah absolutely and so like that's that's not what I'm doing here I'm talking about language and I'm talking about history and you know Mm -hmm. you can you can take that or leave that you know Mm-hmm. I think you definitely gave some very legitimate reasons as to why uh, you don't like the term and I'm not a fan of the term. And I, I wonder if Luna's heard these discussions. I would be so happy to talk with her someday. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So, wow, we covered a lot. All right. Well, let's take a break. Everybody go look up Bimbo Theory on Twitter and Instagram. And would you believe it, uh, as of this recording, Cozy's social media Instagram was deleted. So find her now, bimbo.theory on Instagram. And of course, find me on lstanger.com. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. 
Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. We are talking about trans stuff and kink. I am learning from Bimbo Theory on Twitter and Instagram. Cosima B. Concordia, or Cozy for short. Uh, let's do some listener questions. Okay, listener question one. What's a good book to read for an intro to BDSM? Yeah, so um, for this one, I think my favorite as far as just very literal um, like how-tos would be Leather Sex. Um, it's just a very good breakdown of like different types of play, um, kind of what BDSM mm. can mean, and uh, and then contextualizes leather, which again is is a um, contextually a, like a very queer subculture um, in a really nice way, and and then also two other books that have been really important to me are Leather Folk, which is a um, collection of different essays from a wide range of different people mm-hmm. about um about leather culture but that's like more about like history and um as opposed to like a a like how-to guide and then also coming to power which is out of print and kind of difficult to find but it's um from the uh, first leather dyke organization samoa which mm, um awesome. from san francisco and uh, they're they're now defunct, but it was uh, mm. it's just a really good collection and has folks like um, Pat Calafia and um, oh, Neil Rubin okay. in it. Nice. I think you like leather. You're into leather. I take it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, and, well, and also just I mean, I think the thing about leather is that like it it's not necessarily that it has to be like leather the. Um, it can be vegan leather. Yeah, it can be vegan leather, or I mean, it can be it can be lace. Honestly, it it's more it's more it's about it's about like what that symbolizes and and what those communities are, and that it's it's a thing that happens within community, um, mm-hmm. as opposed clothing. to clothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. clothing and clothing and decoration, jewelry, makeup ties in very deeply sometimes to ritual. Definitely. Uh, right um or uh milestones um yeah lots of representative elements so i would love to learn more about like the history of leather in the gay and the queer cultures and maybe someone will come on and teach me about it yeah absolutely um, and there is there is vegan like kink leather too i've seen it i think i have like some of it somewhere oh, absolutely for sure well and and also as as far as like other there there's also a lot of other intro bdsm books um which i i don't have on me right now but if you go to i just say any books anything by hardy and easton yeah yeah no that they've they've made a lot of really great stuff um yeah like the the topping and Mm -hmm. guide to topping guide to to bottoming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah those are really solid and um yeah and i mean honestly any any bookstores like sex section should have a decent amount of stuff and there's a lot of more contemporary stuff too. Mm-hmm. decent bookstore probably not barnes and noble i don't think they have like hardly anything 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever tried to find <laughs> a kink book yeah, in, in the normie bookstore. Mm-hmm. I know, right? So if you can find like a good local bookstore. Um, the first time I tried to look up uh, Inga Musio's cunt mm-hmm. book, my librarian like shamed me. Oh, I thought no. I was trying to play a prank on her. Yeah, Terrible. I just wanted it in my small town. I know. Um, so yeah, emphasis on good bookstores. Um question listener question number two how can my partner learn impact play skills Ooh, yeah um so for this one i think um like first off there there's so much information online and there's a lot of really great um instagram and twitter accounts that that educate um and and also like the book that I talked about, Leather Sex, it talks about all different types of implements in like pretty intense detail. Um, but also, you know, it's, you can just like get a paddle and as long as you have basic safety and know the places that are okay to hit, like keep to the areas that are safe, like the butt and thighs, you know, like you can just experiment and see what feels good. And Mm -hmm. um, then another thing that is always important and that I recommend is getting involved in your local community if there is one. And I know that that's not something that everyone has, but especially if you live in a city, um, there Mm -hmm. usually is something that, that you can find. Yeah, workshops or classes or something if at like the local queer center sometimes or health clinic maybe. Uh, we're really lucky in Portland area. We Absolutely. Have some more options. Yeah. Um, I want to ask this person, consider what your partner's learning styles are. Like, do they want to read a book quietly? Do they want to watch something online, like different classes they can do by themselves? Do they want you to do these things and then show them hands-on do they want to try to go to a workshop with other people in the room you know um so first figure out like how are they going to take the information uh the best absolutely like i am i ordered this fruit leather bite paddle that has like spikes in it, <gasps> and so it's like a blood play paddle and i'm very excited ah! it. it's supposed to like blood splatter it's supposed to be great um, oh my god! But so so impact plays a wide range of things, and um mm-hmm. and I think most people aren't thinking about that when they're thinking of impact play. But um, mm-hmm. and coming from a sex education background, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that you maybe tell a little bit more about precautions you take, like if you're doing blood play, would you be able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so number one, I definitely um I get tested often. I uh, tested my my blood just a couple of weeks ago um i congratulations yeah thank you <laughs> um what do you get screened for what do you ask them for uh, i do chlamydia gonorrhea syphilis hiv i think it yeah hepa- hepatitis um, hepatitis c yeah i think i think that's it i don't know i have the whole list i don't really <laughs> you've got your due diligence written down yeah it's it's somewhere <laughs> um mm-hmm. But then, uh, but then also just having disinfectant and um, and being able to like wipe down the areas and being like safe around like not contaminating those areas is the most mm-hmm. important thing. But it's also mm-hmm. it's not um, like blood play is 
does have some level of risk to it, but especially mm -hmm. um, if you're not doing more intense things like scarification or scalpels or anything like that, it's it's not that risky. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you for mentioning that there's always some level of risk when you're talking about anything that can be transmittable and some serious things can be through blood, but Absolutely. also things can be transmittable through like shared razors, you know? Oh, a hundred. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would never, I would never do blood play with a partner that isn't like a consistent partner that I know really mm -hmm. well. Um, mm -hmm. but so you're screening with your partners is what I'm hearing. Definitely. Your partners are getting screened and communicating. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm shaming people that don't do that necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. but it is risky. Yeah, it is. It is risky. And, and I think that's mm -hmm. the important thing about, um, like instead of safe, sane and consensual, the, I think the more like in fashion way of thinking is risk aware, consensual kink. So rack. Rack. Um, yes. Rack. Yeah. Because so when people ask what are your models for, what is it? Consent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so important if you like, um, with my ex who did needle play on me the first time she made me mm -hmm. read like a whole book on needle play before I actually like, before mm. she actually do it. And it's because I needed to be risk informed. So nice. So yeah. risk-aware, consensual kink. That's the rack model. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, listener question three. Someone says, I want to transition, but I'm afraid of a friend who is a stalker. Any advice? So this makes me think they <laughs> expect that this person might be following them and cause problems for them. Yeah. I mean. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds really awful. And I'm I'm sorry that's happening. I don't, mm. I don't know if I'm the person who has best advice for that. I think that, I think that it's really important to, um, to reach out to local resources. I think that mm -hmm. there's often, um, finding community is, is really important. Like trans and queer community, I think is, is really helpful. And, mm -hmm. um, and for any transition. And so I think that that's just really important Mm -hmm. By any transition, do you mean like moving or parenting or like job hunting? Um, I mean, I think that's true as well. But I think for like um, gender transition, especially, people. I think that there is a way that we um, and I think for queerness in general, I think that the way that we form identity is always contextual within within community and time and space. It's not like these things exist as like platonic ideals. You know, they're right. always formed within relationships with other people. They're they're things that are done, and um, and so I think it's it's really hard to be. You know, I think the interesting thing is a lot of trans people now can be just like online and not necessarily mm -hmm. have any real um physical community, and that's really fantastic that you know you're able to access some amount of resources. But I also think it's really important to um to find real people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for, I mean, obviously there's so many limitations. We don't know any of the other information. I just got this one question, but I wanted to throw it in here in case we could think of anything helpful. Um, I read this question and I assume it's a web stalker. So if that's the case, I mean, I would just say maybe no social media for a long amount of time mm -hmm. and, yeah. and do, do the things that cozy said which is you're going to need like real connections with people as you can find them and like um, using your name yeah. can be helpful for that 
Mm-hmm. But 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 again, True. again, I'm not I'm not a professional, and that's right. really scary and hard. And I'm not um I'm not necessarily the one who can. Oh yeah, huge disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, we're not saying change your name. Yeah. Don't worry, cozy. You're safe. <laughs> you're not responsible yeah. for anything my listeners do. I don't believe in FOSTA SESTA. <laughs> um, I'm not responsible either. Uh, okay. Listener question four. How does a dom like me avoid frustration when the sub tries to top from the bottom? Yeah. I'm going to say that sounds like a compatibility issue. How do we address that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it could definitely be a compatibility issue. It you could also it could also be an issue of like, are those the roles you actually want? Because I think there's mm. always the the chance that we're just falling into the roles that we think we should have and um, right and, like man dominant femme or woman like submissive yeah absolutely and maybe that's not what you want and so i think being able to be um to communicate where you're at and like it's okay not to know but you need to communicate that <laughs> like like even mm-hmm. if you don't know what you want you should always be able to um share that and that's just the most important skill for any sort of intimate anything. And, mm. um, and yeah, mm. so I think like if, uh, um, I mean also like, a a sub is, is different than a bottom. Like, like I'm a, I'm a submissive, but I also, um, like sometimes service top. Um, mm-hmm. but at can the, you, sh- can you give an example of what that sound, what that look could look like in practice? For yeah. So, no so, idea? so for instance, like, like maybe, maybe my dom wants to be fucked or something, you know? And, and it's like, I'm, even though I'm like usually the bottom in most situations, like, um, maybe my partner wants, you know, wants to be fucked with a strap on or a dildo or, mm-hmm. or fisted or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and that doesn't make me not a submissive. I'm always a submissive in that situation. So yeah, you're doing what your partner is asking for. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually relate to that quite a bit too. Cause I'll be like, I'll switch from brat to like boss, I guess, mm-hmm. like all the time. So that can be, you know, obviously I need a partner that can switch with me. Um, but I find myself being like, you know, do this to me, do this to me do this to me but I'm still being like you know like I want you to destroy me or something or like I want you to hit me absolutely so definitely topping from the bottom well Mm -hmm. well well, and it's also like if there's you know if it is a situation of like a submissive a true like a submissive who wants to be a submissive or topping from the bottom then you know like there's ways to deal with that like a gag or like depending on what you've negotiated like a punishment Mm -hmm. you know like Yeah, but you should talk about what that means and and um and what's available to you in your specific dynamic to deal with that issue. I talked to a dom on this show who said that uh she doesn't deal with brats at all because she needs her submissive to follow specific directions and if they don't then they don't get to play at all. And I was like, "Aha, right. So right there I'm like we would not be compatible." Mhm so nice we can break this stuff down totally uh okay listener question five i thought this one was cute uh what are some fun sexy and gender neutral terms i can suggest my partner to use during our kink play yeah so 
Yeah, I mean, I I think there's so many. It it also depends, you know, what what you want and what type of feeling you want. There's like like pet toy plaything, a uh, hole, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or like I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I have had any. I don't know. My current play partner calls me Mr. Poodle sometimes, but it's not during sex. Yeah. Well, like. <laughs> Hmm. So one, one. Hey you. <laughs> no, yeah. Hey you. Um, what one of the things I like? Don't be afraid to like use gender, even if you're, you know, non-binary. Like, like my um, like my live-in partner. Uh, like my term for her is Dommy because she doesn't like the the gender implications of daddy or mommy, <laughs> and um. And then, mm, yeah. that's cute. And then, like my long distance partner, who's who's um also a, a cis woman, uh, you know, she's she's a a butch daddy. So, so you know, it's like mm. often gender it you know plays into the way we think about different power roles and different dynamics. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't. Like if you don't like those things, then you should avoid them. But also if they're fun, don't avoid them just because you're like, oh, well, I'm I'm not gendered or I'm non-binary. So therefore I don't want that. Um mm-hmm. like if it's fun, mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I call people honey. Mm-hmm. Uh not so much when we're doing it though. Baby is one that everybody uses. Yeah. Uh yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think that was a little helpful. Uh, okay. This one's an interesting one, which is why I added it. Listener question six. I recently escaped an abusive relationship and I wound up with a femdom based sex life. Do you think this is helping or is it a dangerous trauma response? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm so, I have a lot of questions. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I like, Again, I'm I'm not a therapist, but I would say I like from personal <laughs> experience, I think that it is a very powerful and useful thing to eroticize your trauma. I think that that is mm-hmm. a very good way to find things that are really hot. Um, and that doesn't mean that everything you're into or anything you're into has to come from you know things you're scared of or things you're traumatized by, but. But I also Mm-mm. think that often um, that can also be helpful. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm chuckling because I can I give it can I give a, an example? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I I only have sex one. Well, I say only. Okay, ideally I would be doing this more, but I have sex once a week with a person, um, and so it's it's gotten to be where things are still very exciting, very new, but some things are becoming like comfortable. And so at one point we'd been playing for a while. It was great. And then I turned over cause I was like, Oh, he's going to fuck me from behind. And then I thought, well, let's make this a little more interesting. So I turned him and I was like, I'm going to make you fight me for it. And I like kind of kicked him a little bit. Ooh. And so then it turned into a, like a wrestling, like a rape role play thing mm-hmm. where we have a safe word. I know it's pineapple. He knows it's pineapple. And I'm like, no, stop, stop. Oh, you're so mean. You know, mm-hmm. apologies if this is triggering anyone. All my regular listeners, it's not. They've heard stuff like this before. Um, and it was really fun. And it was really fun. And I don't know if he has any experience with stuff like that. Um, 
but I do. And it was really fun. (laughs) So, and I've been sexually assaulted before. So this is how I get over that. Absolutely. Well, and and it's like, also, I think, you know, if being a femdom is, is something that you don't like, but it's just something you feel like you've fallen into because it's the only way you can feel safe, then maybe that's Mm. something that could be good to address for sure. But if it's something that you really like, you don't have to apologize for that or feel bad about that. You know, just enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love that. Okay. Well, I'm having so much fun. Uh, I just love talking about sex. Don't you just love talking about sex sometimes? It's pretty good. Yeah. It can be so interesting. <laughs> uh, I guess that's why we're here. Okay, everybody. So go check out Bimbo Theory and we will be right back. Hey everybody, I want to turn you on to Good Clean Love. It's one of my favorite brands from right here in the Pacific Northwest. Their almost naked organic lube is water-based, so it's perfect for sex with a partner when using a condom or with your favorite toys. It's the best-selling organic lube in the country, and I think you'll really love it. Go to goodcleanlove.com forward slash L and check out my personalized collection of favorite products including pH balancing wipes, suppositories for bacterial vaginosis, massage candles, and lubricants. Use code L20 and take 20% off your first purchase. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at Oshihana.com. That's MomotaroApotheca.com and Oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the Trans Issues and Kink episode with Cosima B. Concordia, aka Bimbo Theory. You can read her writing. Uh, exclusively. Well, also on Instagram, but more of it is on patreon.com forward slash bimbo theory. Do you write stuff there that is like juicier or more nuanced than you would for the broad social media following? Yeah. I mean, I, I do post um, pieces that are often quite a bit longer um, mm-hmm. on, on like nonfiction issues, like once the uh, the initial pegging post, for instance, was deleted because I used the word dyke in it. Oh, my um, God. They yeah. thought it was a slur? They thought you were using it as a slur and not like an yeah. identity term? Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It's already been up like four months. But oh, my God. Big, you know, eventually got deleted. So this is what um, I'm talking about. Some people in the younger generation think that or older, but some a lot of people don't know that that's like an identity term and not necessarily a slur depending on who's using it. Yeah, for sure. And, and and I don't think Instagram uh, cares about context at all. Because, no, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And so um, and so I definitely like I have a piece on that where I 
go into more depth than I did in the initial post. And um, gotcha. Yeah, I have I have a Patreon. That one is the one that I like. I, that's that's the one where I put the stuff that I would definitely get deleted for if I put it on Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, I want to post a picture of my bush. God damn it! I like the way it looks. It's pretty. Look at this pretty bath photo. Okay, it goes on Patreon. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Dot com forward slash strange bedfellows. By the way, if anyone's interested. Mm -hmm. Um. So there's this daily dot, uh, piece by Anna Valens. I believe is how you say her name. On trans sex, the title is Kink is Affirming and Complicated for Trans Women. Welcome to the messy, healthy politics of forced feminization and trans sexuality. It's an op-ed. Um, so briefly, it says that some women learn about sex from talking to their peers. Others stumble across porn. The late 2000s internet was my sex educator, she writes. More de specifically, deviant art. Dan Buru and 4chan's uh, forward slash D section. It was a place where fetishism thrived. If you were a furry, you could find a home. You could carve one out if you were a trans woman too. Um, so that was her exposure. What did you, did you read this piece? I did, yeah. What was your takeaways on it? Yeah, so I I definitely, um, Anna's, Anna's a online friend and and yeah, I definitely agree with the with the basic premise around um, kink and identity being very complicated, especially um, especially for trans folks often, because I think often often the things we fear, the things that are taboo, are often things that are eroticized, and I think I think that's really common. Like often repressed queer folks will often have um, fantasies of being like forced gay. And mm. it's and it's the same thing with I think trans women and trans or men. pine for straight people or like eroticized straight men. Like but straight also totally yeah, definitely mm. that too. Like oh no, like you're making me suck their dick. Uh, <laughs> not um, the locker room again. I know I hate that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I, I I think it's I just think it's a very I completely agree. I think that it's a very normal. Um, a uh, way that uh, most people or lots of people relate to sexuality. I think like like you were talking about in the last question that um, trauma can often shape our sexuality. Like um, the reason mm -hmm. consensual non-consent is a popular kink is because it is a safe way to play with rape fantasies and mm -hmm. that and they're like very common fantasies and um that's because we live yeah and 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 i think that's largely because we're a mix of we're in a society that's deeply repressed and where women specifically are shamed for having sexual desire at all and so mm -hmm. it's that same sort of like forced to have sex idea but then also eroticizing the trauma of rape which mm -hmm. is also epidemic so mm -hmm. um, in this, uh, Anna says, but then I came out as a transgender woman and everything changed. I began embracing the dominant woman I longed after in role plays. I could be small or giant, powerless or powerful. I loved it. And as I soon found out, other trans women enjoyed it too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Some of the fetishes I figured out uh, include, but are certainly not limited to. And uh, some people can think of these 
apply bondage rope play blindfolds forced orgasms uh i've not heard this before gynoids or gynoids aka robots mm. excessive sweating armpits pet play food play forced oral sex biting and hickeys vampires college student professor role plays voyeurism body possession hypnosis penetrative women witches cat girls monster girls women with penises nice yeah that's a lot um yeah a lot of us like a lot of different things and that's mm-hmm. cool. that's cool your internet friends yeah, yeah we're, in a, we're in a leather dyke group chat oh and see that can be community yeah definitely mm-hmm. so do you have any uh resources for trans and kink porn related stuff yeah i mean um it's funny because i have a lot of um i'm friends with a lot of sex workers who make a lot of really amazing porn but i also um i also don't watch that much porn myself like mm-hmm. my sexuality over the last few years has just changed where i'm not a super image focused mm-hmm. person and um so i read more like erotica <laughs> than mm-hmm. um or just nothing um mm-hmm. but uh but yeah there there's tons of great places it's like uh four chambers is one that comes to mind that does really mm. um fantastic boundary pushing stuff um I keep also like pay for your porn you know like they're like the best way is to just pay sex workers for their time mm-hmm. um also pay sex workers in person if if there's a fantasy that you want if you're a straight couple and you really want to find a unicorn instead of going into queer women's mm-hmm. spaces, you should hire mm-hmm. a sex worker who, yeah, who knows if, how to fulfill those mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thanks for being supportive. Uh, and that's We all support decriminalization of sex work here, right? So that people can find what they need consensually. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We can focus resources at people who actually need them for trafficking circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some resources for cis people in relationship with newly transitioning trans people? This was a very specific ask. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's funny. I asked, um, so I, I looked at, uh, you know, some of the outline for the show beforehand and mm-hmm. I went over it with my um, partner who I've been with for a little over a decade. And um, and so I transitioned when we were well into our relationship mm-hmm. and um, she's actually a therapist. And so she recommended um, oh, Brave Space. Yeah which is a local Portland organization. And I guess they have a lot of online resources um, hmm. specifically around, you know, like especially for the the trans partner, but also um, like education resources for. Oh, wow. This is yeah. Bravespacellc.com. Yeah. Oh, right out of Southeast Portland. Creates community and facilitates access to expert and knowledgeable providers for transgender and non-binary children, youth, adults, and their dot, dot, dot. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. And and I mean, other than that, I would say um, just it's, uh, it's not about you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like, like someone transitioning, it's not, it's not about their desire for you or against you. It's just, it's their own identity thing. And, um, and sometimes that 
can work with a relationship and be really wonderful. And sometimes that means that the type of relationship may need to change. But mm-hmm. um, but what it definitely shouldn't mean is that it blows the whole relationship up and, you know, mm-hmm. like and it's not a betrayal. Yeah. yeah. Care about each other as people. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, okay. Thank you so much. What are some resources that have been helpful for your learning? If you can think of any. Absolutely. So um, one thing that I wanted to talk about earlier a little bit is, um, so Susan Stryker, who's this um, fantastic trans historian, she wrote Transgender History, but she wrote this paper a while ago called um, Dungeon Intimacies, where she talks about the um, the BDSM scene in San Francisco and specifically talks about um, BDSM as a site for transgendered embodiment and like a or a technology for the production of transgendered embodiment hmm. and um and so i i think that that's been really informative for me as a way to think about how bdsm can create these kind of liminal spaces where things can be kind of remapped and um and people can understand their power relations and how they want to be in relation to other people in ways that they wouldn't necessarily be able to experience outside. And then that can lead to how they actually want to be in the, in their broader life, you know, outside mm-hmm. of just fantasy. So nice. yeah. Uh, so, transgender. No, I'm sorry. It's called transgender history. The mm-hmm. root of today's revolution by Susan Stryker. Liminal space, you said, and a liminal space means threshold. So any point or place entering or beginning, is that, you mean like a transitional space? Yeah. Well, yeah, just that it's, that it's a space in between things. It's a space where things can shift. It's the thing, mm-hmm. it's a space mm-hmm. where, um, you know, famously, or one of the essays, I think it's in coming to power, um, but it's about the the catacombs, which was this um, fisting club in, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was in San Francisco during the AIDS epidemic, and mm-hmm. fisting was was a way that was um, safer with gloves. Yeah, yeah, it became really way more popular because it was like safer sex, and mm-hmm. um, and a lot of like dykes would have sex with like their hands anyway. Yeah, well and, well, and with the gay men. And so so there was this oh. whole thing where it would be like dykes, like these leather daddies and like dykes hanging out at the catacombs. And and sometimes they'd like fist each other. And so mm-hmm. I think I think that if you look at the history of gay, um, gay history just in general, it's it's so much more complicated than these like really strict um, lines that we create for how things are supposed to work. And, Mm -hmm. and especially once you break down the idea of sex as being this thing that only like people in love who only have sex with each other can do. (laughs) Yeah. And that like friends can just have sex, then, then it becomes, um, and I mean, I, I also think that sex workers, you know, uh, put a, model for the ability to have intimacy Mm, in containers Um, Mm -hmm. yeah in containers absolutely and and that's something that we don't really have a model for in broader society and Mm -hmm. um 
And so we have to think about them in these like incredibly limiting ways. And then it's like, if you do this action, you're, you're undermining mm-hmm. your identity and then you're no longer that identity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very well said. Thank you again for all the support uh, to workers. Uh, do you, last thing I'd love to ask all of my guests this, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Yeah. Um, my, my two things would be um, first off, Decenter the orgasm. I think like yes. I think like the whole girl boss feminism thing mm-hmm. for for sex has been like equal mm-hmm. orgasms, and I just I just don't think that's particularly that puts pressure on both people. By the way, yeah, for sure. Then it's the just like you, <laughs> it's just a need to for production and this idea yeah. of like production that ends with orgasm and that if it demands your orgasm equality, absolutely, and capitalism. And it hasn't been good sex. And then it also devalues sex that doesn't, you know, that isn't orgasmic. So decenter the orgasm. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so I think, um, I think decentering the orgasm is really important because it allows us to, um, think about sex in a much broader way where sex acts can, be sex acts that don't involve genitals, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you can have sex by just tying each other up or, you know, through impact play and rubbing against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like different ways that, um, erot- eroticism can like work. And, um, and also there's like, there's a lot of ace people in kink, like a lot of asexual folks mm. who, who, you know, like would be called asexual in like a broader sense and that they have like no interest in mm -hmm. genital play in Mm -hmm. in any sense but then in like this queer like leather sense they do they do like sex so so i because it's well it's power dynamics and like tension and it's like any other type of play it's like wrestling absolutely Mm -hmm. definitely and so I, i i think that decentering the orgasm is, is very important. Um, and then the other thing is just communication, because I think um, like the biggest thing for any sort of intimate um, relationship or encounter is is d- just to be able to do the hard work of mm-hmm. knowing what you want. And, um, and if you don't know what you want, like just being able to communicate that too. Like it's okay if you're still figuring mm-hmm. it out, but you need to say that. Because also pretending that you know what you want is also not good. Um, and that can also mess mm-hmm. up consent, right? Like if you if you lie about what you want, that that it doesn't allow everyone to go into a situation with um, fully being informed mm-hmm. of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And this is for everyone, but it reminds me of something um, uh, writer Clementine Morgan said about part of her responsibility as a sub is to communicate their needs mm-hmm. so that the top knows like how to show up and how to honor those needs. Cause if they do something you don't like, you shouldn't ideally, you don't, you don't want to hold it against them, but people who don't communicate the resentment builds that way. And this can happen on both sides. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So thank you so much for all of the advice and resources and just getting to know you yeah it was so nice to meet you it was so nice to meet you i'll see you around town maybe um 
Absolutely. Yeah. So find Cozy on Twitter and Instagram at Bimbo Theory and on patreon.com forward slash Bimbo Theory. And find us on theytalksex.com and me, lstanger.com. Thank you, Cozy. Until next time. Awesome. Hey everybody, it's Elle. Are you ready for some discount codes? You can get 20% off cool t-shirts like the ones you've seen on Instagram by feministtrash.com if you enter all caps L Stanger. That's my name. I recommend using the code STRIPPERWRITER for 10% off your orders, $35 or more on sexual wellness items from unboundbabes.com. This is one of my favorite websites. And I know some of you enjoy the Vesper Toys on lovecrave.com. You can use all caps code L for a free engraving on your Vesper Toys. It's one of my favorite vibrators and I also use it to calm down like a uh, sternum vibrator. Nobody's ever asked, but I do indeed receive a portion of sales. Thank you so much to these affiliates for offering to do so, and I'm happy to recommend their products. And please let me know, listeners, what products you like or any feedback about anyone I ever recommend, be it in show or in social media or here.